Hey, it's Brad. Uh, Once again, we recorded too much, so we've split this into two episodes. That's why this begins pretty abruptly. Uh, You can jump back one, and you'll get the beginning of everything. Uh, Enjoy. Thanks. Bye. One, two, three, four. At one point, they talk about Elvis wanting to taper off of the drugs he was taking, which were sedatives, uppers, and hypnotics. And I don't know what a hypnotic is yeah. or why you would take that, but I got to imagine that must prep you in some way for a psychedelic experience. Maybe so. I don't know. Would that be some kind of like mental health type drug? I don't know. You're so not keep... well-read when it comes to the PDR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The other thing was, and this was in, you know, like I say, I read the Goldman book, or at least I read the Juicy Bits, mm-hmm. as I recall, and I think it's mostly juicy. But the only thing I can really remember from that book is that at one point they're talking about needing to like get Elvis ready for a show. Elvis, mm-hmm. and he's so whacked out on drugs that they like dip cotton balls into liquid cocaine and shove it up his nose yeah. and then like walk him around like an OD victim uh-huh. until he comes to. And I always thought like that was just, that stuck in my head because that's such a gross image. Yeah. But also like that just seemed like the ultimate made up weird bullshit. Mm-hmm. But in this book, there's and, liquid cocaine. It's yeah. such a great story, too. At one point, Larry comes in and Elvis is like, let me hear you snort, man. Let me hear you sniffing. You're congested, man. Yeah. No, no, I'm not. No, you definitely are. Yeah. Here, take this. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he does exactly that. He douses a cotton ball mm-hmm. in cocaine and shoves it up Larry's nose. Yeah. And then he's like, that's liquid cocaine, man. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what was Larry's uh, reaction to that. I think they just had a great time. He said, like, we were just very high energy for 20 minutes. And then he was like, you know what? I think I'm still congested. <laughs> so that was shocking to have that actually confirmed. Really freaked me out. Yeah. So one thing I thought was curious and worth talking about is Elvis gets rid of Larry from 67 to 72, mm-hmm. which coincidentally is Elvis's career resurgence. Yeah. It's arguably the most fertile time of his career, certainly of his later career. Yeah. And he is arguably, and I would make that argument, doing the best work of his life Mm -hmm. in those years. And it's like, interesting that you get like, what did happen? Like, what changes did the colonel make? You know, and he hypnotized Elvis (laughs) and like put him on this new path. Elvis just blossoms. Yeah. And like, what happened? Or is that all in reaction to Elvis? Like, you know, Elvis's reaction to having being under that much control. He just put all that anger into the work or was Larry truly like fucking him up truly scrambling his brains with all his Hong Kong shit you know feeding him windowpane acid whatever that is <laughs> you know and talking at him you know this is on hypnotics and Larry's there like basically massaging his scalp and talking to him for hours yeah I love that he's always asking Larry to come in and like rub him down Larry's always healing him yes uh, I need a healing man yeah, which is very dark, and that's later on when Elvis is really sick. It mm-hmm. actually gets very depressing, and he's like in pain all the time. Yeah. He's asking, and he's but he's completely drugged up, still on pain. And then yeah, he's always asking Larry to like lay hands on mm-hmm. him and heal him. It's really really sad. Yeah. But yeah, he gets rid of Larry and his career just lights up, which I thought was an interesting fact. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a correlation or is it just timing? I don't know. But then you look at Larry comes back in 72 and Elvis completely tanks again, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, obviously Larry doesn't highlight this in his his telling, but it's an interesting timeline. Yeah, that is interesting to think about. And so uh, maybe all the spiritual shit was bad for Elvis. Like it genuinely just confused him. Yeah, maybe it's just one less thing for him to to have to think about because that seems to me 
to be a big factor in his his decline at the end. He has all these stressors, just the grueling touring. Towards the end, he's very worried about having let Sonny and Red and Dave go and the What Happened book. Oh, is, yeah. First, it's the prospect of it coming out. Like, what are they going to do? And then Larry finds out that it's coming out. He gets a galley proof from a fan whose life was spared by Elvis's <laughs> How Great Thou Art album. Really weird. Oh, right. Like, she was going to commit suicide, but that album helped her not commit suicide. And then somehow <laughs> she knows these people in the publishing industry to give Larry a galley proof of what happened. That book coming out really takes a toll on him. Hugely. And so when you think about that, maybe the spiritual stuff, it's just one thing that he's he's worried about in that time when Larry's away that he doesn't have to worry about anymore. Well, I think as we kind of touched on earlier, like Elvis was happier when performing, though he wasn't necessarily happy touring and the times when he's not touring he's just in memphis he's completely isolated he's up in his bedroom all day he talks to very few people and you know he's half loopy from drugs Mm -hmm. and all he does is ruminate yeah he is just in his brain up there alone in some darkened fucking bedroom with tinfoil in the windows yeah you know it's like psychologically the worst thing you can do to yourself yeah it's essentially like a solitary confinement like right yeah it's terrible I can definitely say in my own experience the more I think the less happy I am right like yeah. no good comes from me thinking about my life right and it seems like he just did more and more of that. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in a psychologically unhealthy state to yeah. begin with. So that made me feel bad for him. Is it after he comes back that the colonel like ransacks his oh, house? No, that is a that is an amazing story. Yeah. Now is that early is that before I think he that's is that in the sixties? Yeah, I think that is in the sixties. Yeah. Colonel Parker, I think, is always on Larry like, well, we should spend some time together. Like, come out to the house. Yeah. And finally Larry has to relent. So he's invited out to the colonel's house in Palm Springs. So he brings like his wife and kids with him and they spend the day with the colonel. And it sounds to me like they just spend the time at his house. They're not really hanging with the colonel. Like they're swimming in his pool and stuff. And at some point the colonel beckons him into his office where he's on the phone talking to someone about what, who knows, but it's clearly involves Larry somehow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You say things like, yeah, he's here. Is it done? (laughs) And after that phone call, the colonel is like, Let's go get some ice cream. So they they go get some ice cream. And after that, they go home to find that it's been broken into and ransacked. And they've taken all of his clothes and his wife's clothes. But other than that, two large cans of garbage have been strewn everywhere, along with human urine and feces. Yeah. Dude. Human. Yeah. And they take all his charts on Elvis, all his numerological and astrological charts. (laughs) Which Larry takes as the colonel obviously setting him up and like an intimidation, like yeah. you know, he's scared of Larry's powers. And I then guess. later on, it's sort of implied that Elvis knew about it. Yeah. Like Elvis caught wind of it. Yeah. But didn't do anything. Um, I know what happened. Very sorry about that. That's pretty messed up. But then like the having poo poo and pee pee like in the house too, like that's just the icing on the cake. That's I extra guess. nasty. Yeah. Whose waste is that? Do you think Colonel, like, made a special package? Like, Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Who knows? It's Dude. so weird. And I don't really understand, like, it's just an intimidation job, I guess. A professional intimidation job is how Larry describes it. 
but why? Just just because he's filling Elvis's head full of spiritual gobbledygook? It's never clear to me how that's a huge threat to Elvis. And maybe it's not clear to Larry, so maybe that's why it's not here. It seems weirdly off-center for Colonel. Like, if Colonel wants to get rid of Larry, there's much more direct ways to do it. And he doesn't seem like a guy who would beat around the bush. Like, he seems like a guy who would call you into his office and be like, I want you out of here. Yeah. What do I do to make that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, or like, here's my threat. Doing this sort of weird mafia, cut-rate mafia thing yeah. seems strange. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Do you believe it? Or do you believe the colonel had anything to do with it? I mean, from the telling, it sure sounds like it, but I don't know. Like, yeah. It seems it seems completely ridiculous, but it's so ridiculous. Why would you make that up? I don't know. I guess it's the urine and the feces that really, like... You're really hung up on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not happy like, That's that. such a specific detail. I don't know. Well, now I know. I never need to scare you off. (laughs) That'd do it, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my feeling is that it's a situation where that did happen. The colonel probably had nothing to do with it. And it's like, Larry's so convinced he did that he takes these sort of like, you know, he said like, oh yeah, he's here on the phone, meaning Mm -hmm. like, oh. He's talking to the, the pooper. The guy's probably squeezing one out right when he's talking. <laughs> yeah. You know, you like go back and you just kind of fill in things. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, but that's what happened. That's my guess. I just don't think the colonel would. But who? I mean, the colonel's definitely an asshole and a thug. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's beyond him. I just, it seems to me he would take a different tact. But who's to say? Who knows? It's a great story. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. Man, this book is jam-packed. Dude. Yeah. So... A problem with these books and our, much like Elvis, highly studious academic natures, <laughs> is that we take a lot of notes. I'm looking at Pat's got single spaced. How many pages of notes? I've got seven pages of notes. Uh, and so we talk and we try to get all the interesting stuff out. But there are inevitably plenty of these really juicy little nuggets that will really pique the interest of Elvis fans the world over. Yeah. But there's not much to them other than they're just juicy little nuggets. Yeah, there's not much to talk about with them. But they're worth sharing. So we're going to try just a lightning round where we are going to bounce back and forth as quick as we can. Hot topics. <laughs> and uh, if we want, if there's anything to talk about, we'll talk. If not, we'll just move on. Okay. Fact. There's a lot of good confirmation in here from earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. And one thing I thought was interesting was that at one point Elvis is like rifling through a jewelry box and he pulls out a watch. He's like, here, Larry, you have this. Yeah. He gives it to him. And Larry flips it over in the back. It says to Elvis from Nick. Oh, yeah. It's, it's from, from Nick, Nick Adams. Adams. Right. So giving a watch to a guy in the 50s. I mean, I don't know. It seems like a very, like a close gift for two men to give one but, another. Uh, it also feels like something that was much done much more commonly. I don't know. Maybe. Especially if you've got the money to do it, I suppose. That would line up with the fact that Elvis just like here you want this thing well and what's also striking to me about that story is like later on it's like Larry's like oh, I don't know I gave that to it like Elvis gave that to me very nonchalantly and then I just as nonchalantly I don't know I gave it to a fan or something yeah some lady yeah. just gave it to her yeah it's very strange I'd, I'd want to hang on to that but I guess man Larry's not hung up with the you know material things the material world you're yeah. right but it made me kind of feel sad about Nick Adams <clears throat> yeah you know? that's pretty sad but it also made me think another project for us is our one act play to Elvis from Nick <laughs> wow right? yeah yeah it's just you and I oh to man Elvis from Nick. oh man <laughs> But we'll have to do a lot of kissing. So uh, be ready. All right. Maybe not a lot, but it definitely there was definitely is kissing, uh, and they're definitely nuts to butts. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, half of it's just us on a moped. Yeah. Got a circle, doing a slow circle on the stage. <laughs> 
I just keep giving you things. You just keep throwing them over your shoulder. Fact. You know, Gail makes a big point about in the last tour, Elvis making all these cryptic statements from the stage. Yeah. And the one was where he said to an audience, by Gail's telling, apropos of nothing, I am and I was. (laughs) One, two, three. And of course, it just seems like, and she takes that as meaning like, you know, somehow that's, I'm going to fake my death. But Larry tells that story here, but he's, it's after he introduces, are you lonesome tonight? Mm-hmm. So he goes, the next song, ladies and gentlemen, is are you lonesome tonight? I am and I was. Are uh, you lonesome tonight? I am lonesome. I was lonesome. Completely unremarkable. Yeah. Nothing cryptic. I thought that was interesting. Fact. One interesting little bit was that Elvis at one point, he has him going to Carter and trying to become like ambassador to oh, the music see, scene. See, I thought it was Jimmy Carter approached him. Well, I, I looked it up. Oh, okay. In, in Elvis's telling, Jimmy Carter approached him and was like, I want you to be the youth ambassador or something. Uh-huh. Youth Yo- of America. Or youth something. of America and the music scene. <laughs> Special like advisor on yeah, the youth yes. of America and the music scene. Which if I looked it up and you know Carter says like, yeah, Elvis called me once. And mm-hmm. I talked to him, and he was very incoherent yeah. and paranoid and was trying to get a, a presidential pardon for a sheriff friend of his <sighs> who hadn't even gone on trial yet. <laughs> and then he says Elvis continued to call him, but he just never picked up the phone again. Yeah. He just let other people take it, yeah. which is kind of sad. But um, that put me into the mind of you know oh, the federal agency stuff and him becoming like a secret agent. At one point, he's laying in bed, and he's reading this little black book. Yeah, it's a book that lists all the federal agents in the system or something like that. Every narcotics agent yeah. by city, yeah. right? <laughs> and Elvis is like, man, we see we got a guy in the Vatican. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like that's a you know that's a hotbed of crime and mm-hmm. you know drug smuggling. And it's like there's no way because if the guy's in the Vatican, it means these are secret agents, right? Vatican's not allowing just a U.S. federal agent to be like hanging out in the Vatican. <laughs> well, the fact that somehow it's believable that there's like a list of these people, like oh, let's compile this list and then give them to all of them, like because yeah. surely like there's no way these could fall into the wrong hands <laughs> exactly. by mistake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll make it really small. Yeah. <laughs> So he just comes in or out of your pocket really easily. And not only are we going to give it to all our trusted agents, but like, you know, if there's a guy like, oh, I don't know, say Elvis who comes (laughs) along and wants to get an honorary thing, throw him one too. Yeah, yeah. So it has to be like, they just made it for Elvis. Like Elvis probably kept calling them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, I need to get in touch with some other agents. I got some like, I got some plans. And eventually they just had to print one up and they put his name in there. Like that'll. You be careful with that, sir. Yeah. Like this is highly important. (laughs) Just like that'll cool him off for a couple months, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes absolute sense to me. <laughs> it's, it seems the only way. Yeah. Fact. There's one uh, one story <laughs> where Elvis eats five banana splits at one sitting, yeah. which I think is really great. Yeah, for yeah. breakfast. Fact. Elvis gifts a bunch of his guys brand new Lincoln Continental Mark Fives, and of course Larry is very thankful. But then one of his uh, one of Elvis's lackeys, who's unnamed, makes an offhand comment about Larry getting something that really he was entitled to. Elvis yeah. hears this, backhands this dude, yeah, and then immediately runs away. 
because he's, <laughs> he's he's so shocked at his own his, at his anger. But hits this guy so bad that he has to be taken to the emergency room. And later <laughs> later on, it's so funny. Elvis breaks this guy's nose or whatever, and then later on, he feels terrible about it, and he talks to Larry about it, and he asks Larry then to like spend the night with this guy yeah. in case he's you know really shaken up. Yeah. But I just love the idea of Elvis like getting so mad. He socks a dude, and then uh, he runs upstairs. <laughs> He'd been crying, I think, when when Larry sees him again. And he never apologizes to the guy. He's just no. Like, he, it's another thing where it's like everything's cool now. Yeah, tell him I'm sorry. He didn't even say that. He's just like make sure he's okay. I don't think yeah. he says like tell him I'm sorry, but just like tell him I yeah I feel I'm up here crying. Yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Fact. I just want to mention too, Red seems to have it in for Larry. So early on, they rent out an amusement park in Memphis or around Memphis and uh, they get on the bumper cars and I guess here it is. Red West to Larry. I'm going to kill you, you motherfucker. He screamed. I'm going to get you. <laughs> and I think at the end of that night, Larry talks about being bruised and whiplashed. Yeah. And then there's another another Red West story much later on where Larry says hello to some people. I think one of them is somebody's girlfriend or Red's girlfriend and Red takes it the wrong way. He that Larry's been uh, making passes at this woman and he punches Larry out. And actually like knocks a piece of a chin off his yeah. chin bone. Oh yeah, he's, he's got floating bone floating in. Yeah. Larry literally gets whiplash from the bumper car. Yeah. So he goes to the hospital and gets is diagnosed with a whiplash which is like, I don't know, I get a feeling Larry's not that, but he's a weak neck. And yeah, it's actually at a movie set. Red and some of the guys are just like hanging around talking to one of the starlets from the movie. Mm-hmm. And Larry comes up and just starts chatting with him. And then yeah. when he goes to the back and Red punches him out. Yeah. <laughs> I bet Larry was a little insufferable, especially like in Hollywood on, on movie sets, because he had prior, you know, experience in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah, so. you're absolutely right. I, I didn't really think about that. But yeah, that was more his element. He knew a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. And those guys were already kind of like rubes. And I'm sure you must have treated him a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. Well, that feeds into, you know, they do go into Elvis getting rid of those guys before the book. Elvis, what happened? Mm-hmm. And very credible. I've heard that elsewhere that yeah. it was just he just kept getting sued because they were. Oh, yeah. So yeah. They mentioned that, which like that makes a lot of sense if they were roughing people up and Elvis was constantly having to pay people off. Constantly yeah. going to court for these guys. So he's like, these guys just got to go. And then it also makes sense that from what we've learned about Elvis, like he didn't do the firing. No, he never said anything. So you're Red West and like you've been working with this guy for 20 years. Yeah. Close. Yeah. Friends your whole life. And he just fires you and doesn't even say anything. Mm-hmm. And it's because Elvis is weak in that way. Yeah. You know, he can't do the confrontation. He can't have that chat with those guys. And so he's just kind of like avoiding it. But that makes it like a million times more hurtful. You know, you just got Vernon being like, all right, you guys are out. Red's an interesting character because everyone kind of loves Red West. Mm-hmm. Certainly our group. Yeah. But he did write this book that's a really harsh betrayal. Yeah. He has his reasons for it that he claims. But he's a- Harsh betrayal or just a, a pointed wake-up call? A wake-up call to America. <laughs> I mean, that's his justification yeah, yeah. for it. It's like anything. There's never one reason you do anything. Mm-hmm. There's always a bunch of reasons. And I can see where all the anger, the anger seems very justified. Sure. But then, yeah, in terms of the guys, there is much talk. At one point where Elvis is like, I'm rewriting my will and you guys are all, this group of people is taken care of, mm-hmm. including you, Larry. 
Yeah. Of course you, Larry. Like, always right. you. And so he writes out this whole will, and all the guys are getting stuff. They have Charlie and, I think, Ginger both sign it. They're the witnesses. And they just hide it in Graceland. They don't, like, take it to their lawyer, which is what you would have to do. Yeah. You know? And it's I think it's, like, 17 pages long. And then Elvis passes, and Vernon pulls Charlie in to verify the will for a lawyer. And it's 13 pages long. Mm-hmm. And Charlie testifies that it's the real one. Uh, it's then promptly fired. But the new will is four pages shorter, and apparently those four Four pages were all bits about giving it to anyone but Lisa Marie. Yeah, because in the end, it all it all is like goes to Lisa Marie in trust, which that makes perfect sense to me. Really? As a father? Yeah. And then Larry also paints the picture that like, well, it was just too much for Vernon to deal with. Vernon was in charge of the will. And so if there were changes made sort of after the fact, it was just like, he's so upset. And this was the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing to do was to forge a new will, you know, and then like convince Charlie to go along with it. And then like and then can fire Charlie. Fire. Yeah, I don't know, man. I guess my my point is like, it's not suspicious to me at all that Elvis wouldn't include all these hangers on in his will. So I don't know, funny business about forging stuff or wills being changed. Like that seems completely plausible to me that Elvis decided to change the will at some point without the knowledge of Billy Smith and Charlie Hodge and Larry Geller. Like why would those guys be involved with that at all in the first place? I don't know. Well, the rewritten will that had them all in it was already pretty late in the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ginger was there to witness it so it was already late so him all of a sudden doing another one seems kind of weird what you're theorizing is that elvis made the change yeah not what's presented in the book which is that Vernon made the change afterward, mm-hmm. which in the book, Vernon all but admits to. He comes up, he's, of course, crying because yeah. he's a Presley, <laughs> up to Larry and is like, I just couldn't do it. It was too much. I just couldn't. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. I'm so sorry. Yeah. But, you know, I just couldn't. And it's like, I can, I can kind of see that happen. Yeah. Like Vernon doing that. But on the other hand, he was going to give $50,000 to Billy Smith. And he's doing that to like eight guys. Yeah. It's 400 grand. Right. And, you know, Elvis had, he must have had a shitload of money. And if he, if Vernon had any sense, he knew there was a shitload of money still going to come in. But Vernon was also like notoriously like penny pinching, right? So like maybe there's not as much money in the bank as we think there was or that amount, the plenty that was is just like Vernon still thinks it's like, oh, it's drying up. That that very well could be. But to that, I would say, you know, if he did change the will, your theory that Elvis changed the will... Elvis was nothing but generous to those guys. Yeah. And the guys who were still with him at the end were kind of proven. Mm-hmm. They weren't guys he was getting rid of, guys he thought were, you know, shit. The core guys for the most part. Yeah. yeah. And he spent his whole life giving those guys gifts. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense that he would want to leave them something in his will. And yeah. 50 grand is not that much for him. I don't know. Like, I can't listen to these guys like Larry or any of these guys complain about how they're not in the will and like how they feel betrayed. It's just like you had a years long ride. That should be enough. And so the fact that it go, all goes to Lisa Marie, that's what should have happened. And so I can't listen to your argument, Larry Geller or Billy Smith or whoever, or Charlie Hodge. Oh, you had to go like earn your keep some other way? Yeah. I, I can see them, especially if you're told you're going to be in the will. Mm-hmm. I can see you being upset by that. Yeah. And thinking it's weird. I, I can see your stance. Those guys don't have much to complain about. but. Yeah. There's a difference between complaining and going like, what the fuck? This is weird. You know? Mm-hmm. So... Fact. This great moment where it's very near the end, and Larry, for some reason, he's of course massaging Elvis's scalp and shampooing him. And he's like, You know, Elvis, have you ever considered stopping to dye your hair? You have a beautiful white head yeah. of hair. Wouldn't you look very dynamic on stage in one of your jumpsuits with long, flowing white hair? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Elvis literally says, like, 
Well, I'll think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, like, what are you talking about? He also talks about Elvis, like, losing eyebrow hair, which I think is kind of funny. (laughs) Funny or super depressing. I think I took that as depressing. But the white hair thing, it's like Jackie Rogers Jr. is exactly, (laughs) that's Jackie Rogers Jr. (laughs) Oh, man. Fact. This confirms that Elvis is embarrassed to even see dungarees or even brown clothes. Right. Because they reminded him of being a poverty-stricken Working class jerk-off, yeah. Which is a theory you had had. Yeah. Early on, we had talked, I think, you know. Came to me in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> I think in an off-mic conversation discussing Elvis, yeah, you would opine that Elvis probably would never wear denim because he associated it with poverty. And yeah. I think you were right. This yeah. was great. Fact. Just a quote from the book. To one female interviewer who asked what he did with all the girls who threw themselves at him, he replied, I usually take them. (laughs) Which is kind of like antithetical to what Larry talks about a lot. He's like, Elvis would go overboard with everything, except when it came to sex. Yeah. Which is, so Elvis went overboard with everything. I'm supposed to believe like he drew the line at sex. And like, especially after reading the Greenwood book, it's like, not sure I buy that. Like, good, good on you, Larry, for like trying to defend Elvis, but I'm not buying it. Larry does take that line and he describes some of these parties in Hollywood and in Memphis where, you know, in fact, he would send Red or whoever down to the fence, gather up some gals, bring them up to the house and they'd have a party. And in Greenwood's book, those parties turn take on a sinister hue, right? As they all start banging each <laughs> yeah. other. Hey, there's what? nothing wrong with a little banging. <laughs> <laughs> a little four-way <laughs> among a family. But in this, like, Larry really makes the point of saying these parties are extremely chaste. Yeah. It's, it's like singing. And soda pop. And potato chips. Mm-hmm. And there's really no sex going on. There's just some chatting. And at one point, Elvis is telling him, like, you know, right when I got drafted, the week before I went in, I went crazy and I slept yeah. with everything that moved. I realized I really need some, like, love mm-hmm. involved. I'm not interested in just the physical. Yeah. But, you know, none of that equates with those couple shots in, this is Elvis where he's talking about getting blowjobs. Yeah. Very, like, crudely. Yeah, yeah. You know, backstage and one's in a limo. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, that girl last night could really suck a, suck a dick or something like that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Or, and all the guys are like, <laughs> Elvis. <laughs> So I take that as saying, like, well, we've got video or we've got filmic proof of Elvis being kind of a dog. Mm-hmm. So I would say without thinking that, oh, Larry is mistaken or Larry's kind of trying to cover him up, which yeah. is great. Honestly, if that was the case, I'd say bravo, Larry. But <laughs> then I had some further thinking. Uh-huh. And I do believe Elvis was impotent. Oh. And Elvis on tour was pretty late in the game. Yeah. So there is a very strong possibility that his bragging, especially to the guys, like, oh, that chick last night. He doth protest too much. Right? Yeah. He's making a big show about, oh, man, man, she really sucked a good hard dick. <laughs> I blew so many loads last night. <laughs> yeah. You know how your dick gets so hard? <laughs> So I, could, I, I, I 100% believe that Elvis, you know, once he went limp dick, would still find it very important, even if he had never done that before, to be very vocal to the guys about like, oh, man. Yeah, I, so, I can see that. So maybe, maybe, maybe Elvis was a sweetheart with the gals. But not by choice is kind of what you're saying. Like... Well, no. Briefly, I mean, my point is just that I think there's a possibility he was always pretty chaste uh, with the ladies. Mm-hmm. And that his acting otherwise on Elvis on tour doesn't necessarily negate that idea. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And I think this is also a situation where, much like the relationship between Elvis and his parents, like for whatever reason, I really want 
them to have had a nice relationship. I yeah. want him and Vernon to be loving. I yeah, don't yeah. want, you know, like their Greenwood paints like a real hateful, gross relationship. Yeah, and I, I'm going to be swayed by like whatever book that I'm like currently <laughs> yeah. reading. But that rang true to me while I was reading the Greenwood book. But it sounds from Larry's telling that they, they were close and they did have a good relationship. And it's and like... I, yeah, the, the more I read that, the more I would like to believe that as well. Because if Elvis doesn't even have that, like his life is even sadder. And then, then it just becomes more depressing to think about Elvis. Like he just, yeah. I don't know. I want to I wanna like Elvis and I want to be rooting for Elvis. I don't want him to just be like a totally tragic figure. Yeah, you want him having fun. And it, you know, in listening to the music, I can listen to music of people who were miserable and who are shitty people. But, you know, when I listen to Elvis, as I do often, as you can imagine, I'm clearly looking for something above and beyond just music. Yes. And the Elvis music gives me something, some weird comfort. Yeah, there's definitely something more about Elvis and his music than just the music. But I think there's something in that feeling is they're under threat when I start thinking about this being so dark. Yeah. And Elvis being a dark character. Like, yeah. it really affects me in a way that, like, Michael Jackson music, I'm not affected by mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> I, I still like Michael Jackson music. I don't care how terrible I find out he is. It right. doesn't make a difference, you know. And that's the same with, like, the promiscuity. Not that there's anything wrong with banging. Like, I'm all for banging, but. You want a high five on that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dog. <laughs> I mean, I say that hypothetically, but I don't know. I guess just the level of banging he was engaged in in the Greenwood made me kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it was very aggressive. Yeah. Almost hateful. Fact. We do learn that Elvis was, according to Larry, obsessed with women's feet. Uh, the minute I see a woman's foot, I know if I like her or not. Well, and then the actual sentence, he was obsessed with women's feet. Yeah. And it goes nowhere. After. That's all we get. It's the only mention. And my feeling is that that sentiment, the minute I see a woman's foot, I know if I like her or not, really does not necessarily mean he was a foot fetishist. Right. It could very likely mean, I mean, I could say the same thing, because like, if I see a woman's foot, I get to get a good idea of what's going on with the rest of her. Right. Well, she has some nasty, beat up, dirty foot, right? Well, and it's like they say, you know, the feet are the window into a person's soul. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't buy that. I think Larry's making a leap there, taking that to me. There was an obsession yeah. there. But who knows? Maybe in further books, I'll be very interested to see if well, feet come up more. Yeah. Fact. I thought it was interesting to note that Larry singles out Jerry Schilling and Charlie Hodge as bright and sensitive at some point. <laughs> I think I take that yeah. to mean like they like didn't dismiss his spiritual bullshit right uh, away. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. I could see Charlie. And I, I don't know, like having read Charlie Hodge's book, Me yeah. and Elvis, not a big fan of that guy. But man, everybody loves Charlie, it sounds like. So I, I, might, need you. To, I might need to rethink. Well, I'm so curious because I've read that book too, and I remember nothing from it, but I did not have any kind of negative feelings towards Charlie after. Oh. But you- Yeah, I couldn't stand it. I, I think it's just that like he positions himself as sort of like a wise advisor to Elvis. And man, that's that's rich for a guy who's like- A he, glorified mobile closet. Exactly. A human microphone stand. <laughs> like he's not any advisor to Elvis in any capacity as far as I can tell. But what do I know? Yeah. But he likes the guy. Fact. Elvis thinks there are descriptions of UFOs in the book of Ezekiel, which hey. is like the most 70s belief. Oh, I know, man. Have. Cherries of the God shit, right? He is a compendium of 70s nonsense beliefs. <laughs> like, yeah. If Elvis didn't have that element to him, he would be so much less compelling, right? Uh, if he like, if he just found like Elvis, he would occasionally read like airport books. 
Oh, yeah. And then yeah, yeah. just went to like a Protestant church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd be so boring. Fact. I've got a quote here sort of illustrating what an emotional guy Elvis was. Watching a news report about abused children or seeing a film on the Holocaust, yep. Elvis would clench his fist and curse, God damn them, <laughs> with tears rolling down his cheeks. Questions. What was Elvis wearing when he was first introduced to Larry's wife? Oh, I don't remember. I want to say it was like a a black jumpsuit with, and he had a, a flashlight in hand. <laughs> no. no. A black bolero shirt. Oh. Black pants. And a loaded shoulder holster. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Questions. What's the sign outside of the colonel's office, Reed? I should know, but I I don't remember. Elvis Exploitations. Oh, yeah. Is that insane? Yeah. Like, I guess exploitation at that point didn't mean the same thing, but it's very... It's a little on the nose, huh? Yeah, I'd say so, right? Fact. They do confirm there was a nurse and a doctor. It was a home birth for Elvis and Jesse. They confirm that the story of Vernon would tell of going to the backyard and it's infused with a mystical blue light. And so that answers my question. I guess both of our questions, but I'll take most of the heat for it, <laughs> of what happened to Jesse. Whereas I thought it was a home birth and so no doctors around Vernon was probably tasked with writing himself with the baby and being lazy. He probably just kind of hucked it in some woods. Out of the out of a moving <laughs> truck, but I guess if there was a doctor there, I assume the doctor would have taken it. Yeah, and so Jesse was buried. It's called Priceville Cemetery. It is an unmarked grave near some family plots. So rest easy with all that. Questions. What's interesting about the custom watch Elvis has made? Oh, it like every so often it flashes a cross and a Star of David, I think. Every 30 seconds, it showed the cross and the Star of David together for 20 seconds. Wow. So you'd have 10 seconds of clock time. <laughs> <laughs> so 20 seconds per minute, you'd have clock right. and then 40 <laughs> seconds of... <laughs> Fact. Colonel maybe has a cohort proposition Larry. Like one of the colonel's buddies invites Larry out to dinner and then starts kind of like touching oh, him under the right. table. And Larry thinks that maybe it's the colonel trying to feel him out. Yeah, literally. The idea being that the colonel's suspicious about his sexual orientation. Yeah. I'm sure all those guys were. I did think it was interesting that Larry at one point cites Priscilla's book as a source for him getting some background information on his firing, some of the discussions that went on. Oh. And I just thought, like, how weird would that be? Like, you can buy these mass market paperbacks and learn about your own life. That that is crazy. (laughs) You know? And then I immediately thought, like, we all need to start writing books. Me, you, Burl, and Wade. How about an oral history of Hennessy? That's a great idea. Fact. Larry's kids are named Jova and Cabrell. Questions. What percent of Japanese homes watched Aloha? 90. Very good, Pat. <laughs> Fact. This was interesting. Larry does state that in the 60s, Elvis did have an early video camera. Mm-hmm. And he did indeed tape girls taking off their clothes a couple times. But that was the extent of it. Yep. I find that hard to believe. I think. What about that do you find hard to believe? I think if you have your video camera out mm-hmm. and you've already like looked at a girl in your mm-hmm. bedroom yeah. and looked at the camera and looked at the girl <laughs> and said, you know what, hun? Watch. And then start filming her. She takes off her top uh-huh. and you start zooming in on the boobs and stuff like that. <laughs> it's such a small step to then go into like, well, why don't you, you know, kiss my nipples? 
and then I'll see what that looks like. <laughs> oh, that feels good. You know? Yeah. I don't see that being the line. I can see the line being I don't want to record any sexual shenanigans on a video camera because yeah, it's yeah. gross. Mm-hmm. But I don't see the line being like, oh, with your taking your clothes off, I'll videotape it. But no, like actual. Yeah, I feel like if you have that, like a few times might be the key thing for me. So maybe Elvis doesn't want to have sex on camera. I get that. Or maybe there's just like not a tripod around. But like, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to do that, you're going to just like, he's got like a library <laughs> yeah. of he, tapes. He is a whole hog kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But this is a sexual matter. Is this where he draws the line? The idea of him not wanting to see himself have sex, or maybe he recorded it once and didn't like it and mm-hmm. just stopped. That would make sense. Fact. I've, in the past, I think by default, because I'm maybe a contrarian at heart, I've always kind of been something of a kernel apologist in that people like to kind of drag him through the mud mm-hmm. and, oh, he worked him to death and he was a kind of a shitty guy. And, yeah unfair to Elvis financially and all this. And my stance is always like, yeah, I think that's true, but also look at what he did. Yeah. You know, he did some amazing things. He invented superstardom in a sense. Uh Uh-huh. So you got to cut him some slack. But this book, they go into some of the deals he was cutting, and I cannot get past this and still have anything even remotely warm in terms of feelings towards the colonel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he talks about selling all the masters pre, like, I think, 73 mm-hmm. to RCA. And they throw in some other stuff in the deal. And the what it totals to is Elvis gets $4.65 million, uh-huh. which is a tidy sum. But the colonel gets 6.2, which is like, what? how much of a dirtbag do you have to be? Yeah. It's unbelievably greedy and shitty. Yeah. You know? And then that's around the same time he sets up Boxcar International, Mm -hmm. which is to handle all of Elvis's merch. And that's a company that Colonel sets up. He gets 40% of it. Elvis gets 15% of it. The the fact that he could be fair to Elvis and make still so much goddamn money. Yeah. I mean, who's earning more than Elvis? Elvis is the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. He was getting a million dollar fee plus 50% of the profits, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, net. Yeah. But, I mean, that's an insane amount of money. So his greed is really grotesque to me. And his disdain towards Elvis that that suggests really shines through, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, like, I'm no fan of the Colonel, but it's also, like, if you can get over on somebody like that, like... Good on you. Elvis has got to take some accountability for being such a sap, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I don't know. 100%. I don't think those are mutually exclusive sentiments, like thinking that Colonel's a shit mm-hmm. and that Elvis is a fucking idiot yeah. and blew it. Yeah. And had a direct hand in his own downfall. Yeah, yeah. I think both of those are true. But yeah, and you, well, it does make me wonder how much the guys, the Memphis Mafia, would have been looking out for Elvis versus how much of them, how much of their time is spent looking out for the colonel's interests. Yeah. And reading those stats, I couldn't help but think some whiff of the terms of those deals Mm -hmm. has to be out there. Yeah. People in the industry must know this. Right. Which suggests to me that Elvis would be getting approached almost constantly by other managers Mm -hmm. who could say, dude, overnight, you'll be making three times the money, four times the money. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, Elvis seems to have never felt he could never step away from the colonel because it was always stepping into darkness. Right. It was never like, oh, I got this lined up. Mm -hmm. I just say, adios, colonel, and I've got this guy ready to roll. Yeah. Suggests those people never got to Elvis. Yeah. Or he had been trained not to listen to that somehow. Uh Uh-huh. Or he has this just weird sense of loyalty that he just can't shake could be any of those things but i do it does make me wonder like how much of the memphis mafia's time like how many of them were complicit in barring other agents and managers and financial like money managers yeah from getting to elvis you know 
Because there had to be a steady stream of people trying to get to him because it's such a slam dunk. Yeah, well, and I think Larry doesn't name names, but like clearly there were guys like on the inside serving as an ear for the colonel. Like, yeah. Who were reporting back to the colonel with what's going on. So, I mean, Elvis was so deep in his bubble that I think it would be hard to get in anyway. But then if you've got guys like working to keep people out, it becomes even more difficult. You know, Elvis also like talks about like, you know, business isn't really my thing thing and just didn't want to even think about that stuff so he's got all that stuff working against him and that works in the colonel's favor there is a funny thing talking about finances do you remember the story where larry is suggesting to vernon that he started investing money oh yeah and he yeah, tells him that what, like gold, gold is- like you should invest in gold vernon yeah this is so sad <laughs> and like so in keeping with the portrait of vernon you get yeah so what's Vernon do with that hot information, that insider? He, he buys like a gold coin or something. Yeah. And that's it. That's he it. He shows it to Larry. He's like carrying it around. Yeah, him. yeah. So Larry says, gold's going up, invest in gold. Yeah. The market is changing. So he buys a gold piece and just like carries it around. <laughs> but those guys needed a money manager who wasn't in the colonel's pocket. In terms of the colonel, there's a big stink that I find very telling about the colonel being a really shitty, degenerate gambler. Mm-hmm. At one point, losing like over a million dollars in Vegas in one night, <laughs> yeah. which is a pretty bad loss. Yeah. That's a streak. But then later on, the colonel sets up the deal for Elvis's what turns out to be his final tour. Obviously, they didn't know it was his final tour at the time to have a couple of the shows filmed to be broadcast, I think, on CBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elvis is not happy because Elvis is in bad shape. He's yeah. not in great voice. Uh, he knows he looks bad. He really is stressed about those shows being filmed, yeah. And it's coming on top of the book coming out, Elvis, What Happened coming out. Yeah. Elvis very stressed. But he's complaining at one point about, oh, that dang colonel selling these rights, filming my, these concerts. He must have lost more money gambling or something, mm-hmm. you know, that bastard. And that is so telling in that only a guy who feels he can't say no to or something yeah would complain like that yeah the colonel's positioned it so that elvis works for him and that's got to be how elvis sees it that's a really interesting way to put it and i think you're totally right i don't think elvis consciously ever thought oh i'm working for the colonel but mm-hmm. that's definitely how he's approaching it yeah. that's definitely the world he's living in yeah only in that mindset would he be upset about the colonel's gambling because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's the colonel's money who gives a shit. Right. But it's because he feels there's a direct connection between the colonel needing money and Elvis having to work. Yeah. That he gets upset. Yep. Because he doesn't feel he can say no. And that says a lot. And it actually probably answers a lot of stuff we talked about earlier, like why couldn't Elvis get away from him? That level of being ineffectual, it's like pretty staggering. It's yeah. pretty sad. Fact. There is a, a detail in one story where the, the boys are in the back room watching Deep Throat on Betamax. <laughs> Fact. Whenever they talk about Vernon having a heart attack, I think of Sanford and Son. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I know it was way more serious than that. And than that I think <laughs> Vernon probably didn't take great care of himself either. But I put that together with his like outburst at the funeral. It's like, oh, Elvis, I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That definitely, we find out where Elvis gets a lot of his, e- his emo behavior. Yeah. Because Vernon, yeah, has a exactly that, I'll be with you soon, son, crying freak out at the uh, internment. And earlier at the viewing at Graceland, Minnie May had like completely collapsed. <laughs> yeah. And was like, he was the prettiest yeah. thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and she had made such a scene, she had to be escorted yeah. away and put into her room. Right. <laughs> so there's like... <laughs> 
8,000 people or whatever going through looking at the coffin and she's 20 paces off under the stairs in her room and having to be kept away from people because she'll freak them out. Fact. So speaking of psychology, things going over like guys' heads, I, I love this this passage here. On the way to the hotel, I sat next to Dean Nicopolis. He said to me naively, hey, great show tonight, huh? I looked at him in astonishment. Maybe he's blinded because his father is Dr. Nick. I don't know. I said, you're only 21 years old, Dean, and you're so lucky to be here. We all are. Let me give you a word of advice. Take in every moment to its fullest. Try to absorb everything that's going on because nothing lasts forever. You're young. Someday you'll be grown up and you'll look back on this and it will all seem like a dream. Look around you. See what's happening. This won't last forever. Dean stared at me for a moment with a concerned look in his eyes. I thought that perhaps I had struck a chord in him. Then he said, what the hell are you talking about? Are you using that psychological stuff on me? <laughs> I definitely picture that taking place with Larry's hand on Dean's knee. <laughs> Right, yeah. like take a, take every advantage yeah. of every moment. Right. Or actually, fullest. he's got his hand, like his face in his hands. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about, Mr. Geller? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Questions. What technique did Elvis have to resort to as a child to deal with his asthma? I don't remember. He would take off his shirt and rub his back against a tree like a bear. <laughs> Fact. There's a story where Elvis almost chokes on a cheeseburger while nodding off. Fact. Sex energy is the strongest energy in the body, according to Elvis. That's gross. Fact. The opening to this book is really awesome. It's, it details Larry and Charlie Hodge being like taken into the coroner's office, like post-autopsy. They got to get it ready for the funeral. He's going to do his hair. The coroner comes in and like takes the sheet off Elvis and they get to see Elvis's stitched torso. And Charlie remarks like, why'd you have to do that? Like they didn't have to see Elvis like that. Well, remember they took out his guts and kept him. They never put yep. him back in. And in this book, when Larry cuts his hair yeah, that last time, he keeps the hair. Yeah. Don't hear any more about that though. No. Oh, where'd that go? Yeah. Pretty creepy. Probably yeah. stuffed a pillow. Fact. Elvis hung out with James Brown a little bit. Yeah. James Brown was a big Elvis fan, it sounds like. Yeah, James oh. made a point to come to the visitation at Graceland and like was left alone with the body for what seemed like hours. Yeah. And just sat silently with him. So I guess according to this telling, they had a deep mutual respect. So this book, what do you think, man? I really enjoyed reading it. Like, I think there are a lot of great stories in here. I do like Larry. He seems like a good guy. I don't know that I completely buy his spiritual influence over Elvis. I just don't feel Elvis was as committed to his studies as maybe Larry wants him to be. Yeah. But Larry seems pretty credible. He's got some other stuff going on besides Elvis, which I think always helps. And I don't know, maybe it's him working his psychology on me. But he <laughs> he does seem to take the high road with a lot of stuff in telling these stories. Yeah. I mean, Larry's clearly no dope. I mean, he's like a cultured dude. Mm -hmm. He's intelligent and he's educated and he grew up, you know, he lives in the Hollywood world. So it's like, it's a demanding space where you have to be socially aware right? in a way that I think a lot of authors of these books never had to be, you know? So I think he does come off as very different. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I really, really enjoyed this book. I had read it before, but this time through, I, I really, it was really engrossing. Like I said, I agree that the reading of this, you feel it's very credible and he is very likable and he seems trustworthy, though I do question whether he's just using psychology on us. Because in review, there's 
a lot of questions. And again, we can't get past the fact that it's another book written by someone who, to fully believe a story, you have to believe that he is psychic, that yeah. Elvis can heal people with his hands. Right. Great shop. Uh, make sure to tune in. Next week, we're reading a book written by a woman named something Bova. Joyce got- Bova. The name of the book is Don't Ask Forever, My Love Affair with Elvis. So Yeah, about secret sex with Elvis. Yeah. That'll be hot. Before we go, we'd like to make special mention of our cousin podcast, Suspicious Minds, with... Wade and Burl. Very good. They're good friends of ours. <laughs> and are, in fact, doing really good work in the name of Elvis. So uh, yes. give them a listen, if you will. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email at Elvis Book Club at gmail.com or give us a call and leave a message at 312-380-1114. All right, Pat. And so we part and we do so in the manner of all Elvis fans the world over by saying a few simple words. You know, Pat, there was a guy I said one time, he said, uh, you never stood in that man's shoes. Or saw things through his eyes. Or stood and watched with helpless hands. While the heart inside you dies. So help your brother along the way. No matter where he starts. For the same God that made you, made him too. These These men with broken hearts. Good night. And God bless. Everybody's gone away.